0: Hello everybody, welcome to Alligator Preserves. I'm your host, Laurel McCarg. I've been on a little bit of a podcasting hiatus lately. Don't ask me why, but I'm back now and I have a very special guest to introduce you to. His name is Henry Dodson. So stick around.
1: Welcome to Alligator Preserves. A weekly podcast about revealing yourself through storytelling, story reading, and story writing. But probably not story arithmetic, because that's not a thing. You just might surprise yourself with the secrets you'll uncover.
0: Henry, welcome to Alligator Preserves.
1: Hello, Laurel. Never been on a podcast before.
0: (laughs) Well, that's why I am introducing you to the world. And it's actually pretty exciting because how did I meet you?
1: Uh, You and I met a way of the Chafee County Young Writers Competition. Uh, I entered a story in the senior division for it, a story called The Trees that I ended up getting best entry for. And I've found myself in this situation. I feel famous.
0: Well, you you did indeed submit a story that absolutely blew me away. And full disclosure, I was one of the judges for the writing contest for both the junior division and the senior division. There were no names attached to any of the entries. We had no idea who wrote them, what school they came from, or anything. And we were given a rubric, Uh, by the the vice president of J. F. Gunny Writers Exchange, Cam Torrens, who put this together. He launched it. And as a former teacher, I know how important rubrics are in order to evaluate something as subjective as writing, because writing is really subjective, right? I mean, you've probably read some things and thought, oh, I don't like this, and other people might have liked it. So as far as that goes, you know, um, I read eight different stories of the finalists of the senior division, and yours blew me away. I'll I'll just say it, it it absolutely blew me away. There was no question in my mind that it was a first-rate submission. So you are, how old are you now? Now?
1: I just turned 17 at the beginning of May.
0: Okay, and you just finished your junior year. What school do you go to?
1: Uh, I go to an alternative school called Chafee County High School. Like Most students that have ever gone there, while I've been there at least, is like 25. It's really? uh yeah, it's a small school, about half of the entrants in the, uh, about half of the entrants in the, uh, contest were from my school.
0: Oh, I didn't, I and didn't even know that.
1: Everyone from my school who, uh, submitted actually ended up getting, uh, a finalist.
0: All right. And they were, again, they were remarkable. So as a former teacher myself, the idea of telling my students, Hey, uh, you can do this extra work and, and do this contest. And th- that idea never really went over well with m- many of my students. I think it's unusual for, for a student to say, oh, yes, yeah, sign me up. I want to do extra work. I want to write extra stuff beyond school. So what was it that motivated you to actually say, you know, I'm going to do this contest and then actually submit to it?
1: All right, so this is all thanks to my wonderful English teacher and advisor. Her name is Taylor. Uh,
0: Say her name again.
1: Her name is Taylor, Taylor Drooch. Okay. Uh, she, so the way my, my school works is we don't have set classes. We don't have a set schedule for the semester. Every week uh, we get options of modules and each module is a class and you have two classes a day, each separated into halves and on one particular week the module was about the young writing competition and I'd always wanted to explore my my creative writing and I've always wanted to show somebody that I can write beyond an essay so I decided to take the class I one of the first things I did was I had a sheet of paper just and where I could find space to scribble down an idea about what I wanted the store what I wanted to be in the story. I put an idea down. The very first thing I wrote down was Vietnam veteran. And that was the entire just two things, horror and Vietnam veteran. And it was the whole basis for the story.
0: Do you know why that popped into your head?
1: Uh, First off, because a couple of my favorite writers are uh, Stephen King and Dean Koontz, and I just love horror, and I've always wanted to write horror. And then second off, because uh, my grandpa, my grandpa Bob, he is uh, he is a Vietnam veteran himself. He he tells us that he was stationed on a cushy little base in Da Nang with the famous Mama San. He knew Mama San. He has a picture of her in this little book we have. Uh, He says he was stationed on this base in Da Nang and was the guy that was the middleman for artillery radio. So when a platoon called in artillery, they called him, and then he called the higher-ups who would send the planes. And okay. he says he did that, but i'm I'm not really sure because he has some some really, really cool medals, and just from what I understand, uh, you don't get some of those medals he got for just sitting on a base and answering the phone. you know so, so he, you think
0: he's withholding information, maybe, maybe to protect you maybe to protect himself
1: absolutely i i think that he's a victim of some heavy heavy ptsd and some heavy heavy trauma from the war and i i know that he struggles with it because of the stories i've heard from my dad's childhood and some of the things i've seen him do and heard him say and I just, I wanted to use the amount of admiration and love I have for my grandfather and put it in into something that is indicative of the things he's struggled with.
0: Okay. Well, your story is a real, I would call it a psychological thriller. And... In many cases, you know, when you read a short story, you can anticipate the ending. I did not anticipate your ending. And so I I have more questions for you, but I would like for you to read your story to our audience right now, if you would be okay with doing that. And, And the requirement was that it was a short fiction piece. And the topic was, it happened near here. So it was a very, very broad topic. You could you could have gone anywhere with this, and you just explained to us why you uh, you went to a, a Vietnam veteran story. So, yes, please, please read your story to us.
1: This is obligatorily my story, The Trees. I woke violently once again. The whispering which had taunted me constantly was becoming louder and louder, almost too loud to bear. I sat up and grabbed my rifle, loading it through the top, pulling the bolt and aiming it at the door. Every single night since building my cabin deep in the Appalachian woods, something has haunted me, following me, driving me insane. I moved into these woods after my discharge from the army to try to escape the constant horrors that had plagued me since the ambush, but it seems that my demons are chasing me and won't relent until they've gotten what they wanted, whatever that may be. I tense my finger on the trigger of my rifle. Whatever is chasing me doesn't just want me dead, it wants me suffering. Both I and it know that it is more than capable of ending my life, but I haven't the slightest clue why it's waiting so long to put me out of my misery. It wasn't long after my injury in Vietnam that it first appeared. I initially thought I was just experiencing PTSD or shock, as any person exploded by an RPG would. The doctors could explain, explain away what I was seeing and experiencing, and would say it was just a result of the attack on my psyche. When I told the doctors about the whispers, they explained to me that my brain's just rattled, and that it would subside before long. They told me the creature outside my window was an effect of losing my eye, and that my brain was attempting to fill in the gaps. I should never have believed them. I blindly searched the floor next to my cot for my prosthetic leg. Dawn had broken, and I was safe at least safer was, than I was before the sun had appeared. The whispers of the trees had returned back to a tolerable murmur. However, they never truly stopped. I attached the peg, which was carved out of red spruce, to the stump just beyond my knee and departed my cabin to carry out my daily dues. During the days, I would hunt animals and gather berries and mushrooms for food, picking up firewood along the way. Most of these trips would go without incident, aside from the odd rustle among the leaves or distant scream from the forest that seems to be common around these parts. Today's hunt was different. The areas of the woods I'd familiarized myself with had now felt wrong, as if they weren't the same woods. I was no more than 50 feet into the wood before my skin began to crawl and the trees began to whisper again, whispering like last night. I turned around on my heels and began to sprint back to my cabin. I knew that my time was coming soon, but I sought to prolong the inevitable. As I tore through the unrelenting forest, the whispering of the trees turned into yelling, then into deafening screams. No matter how hard I looked or how fast I ran, the woods continued. I knew how far I was. I knew which direction my cabin was. I had been to this section of the woods every single day. Something was wrong. I had moved miles away from where I began. I had no chance. It had caught up to me. The only thing I could do at this point was pray that my death would involve minimal suffering. I dropped to my knees and began sobbing as the trees fell silent. I heard the sound of massive amounts of earth and lumber moving, rushing toward me like a river of mud and stone. As the sound of snapping roots and flowing earth approached, it fell silent before me. As I held my head in my hands, sobbing, I heard a solitary whisper, frail and like sandpaper against my ears. Look to me, it beckoned. I was trembling with fear. It was the creature that had been pursuing me since the ambush. I lifted my head from my hands and looked up to meet its gaze. In front of me was a gargantuan spruce tree, hundreds upon hundreds of feet high. In its trunk were the withered bodies of hundreds of tortured men whispering, screaming, begging. The bodies of these men, their skin fused into the bark of the trees, were all faces I vaguely recognized. Trapped within this tree was the soul of every person I had killed in the war. The tree's voice, rough like its bark, called again,
0: Look upon me.
1: Look upon the souls you've damned. I continued to weep as I watched the tortured souls of the Vietnamese army grab and claw at me, begging for mercy. You were responsible for the loss of these men. Freedom fighters for their homeland. The tree's voice tore against my ears. The gunshots explosions and fires that led to their deaths all came from you you are responsible you did this you are the monster not i the voice of the tree had become too much to bear the voice of what it had told me had become too much to deal with i continue to sob as i look upon the tree of souls i feel its roots wrap around my prosthesis and drag it into the earth. And then I emerged by the tree into a deep sleep. I wake outside my cabin, my clothes torn and dirty. As I attempt to pull myself off the ground, I fall. My leg is gone, but so too is the whispering of the trees. That's it.
0: (sighs) That's it indeed. How did you learn how to create suspense. You talk talk about the authors that you like. Uh,
1: Yeah. I I take a lot of inspiration most heavily from Dean Koontz. I just, his, his novel lightning is one of my favorite books of all time. And I base a whole lot of how I tell stories off of that particular story alone uh it it doesn't really have a straightforward timeline like it's it's in chronological order but you'll switch paragraphs and you'll be onto an entirely different subject and then go to another paragraph and you'll realize how that subject opened the door to an entire world of possibilities for where that story can go and part- particularly with my second paragraph. the the one that told the backstory of what was going on there, I really tried to use almost the energy of the beginning of Lightning. Like, at the beginning of Lightning, uh, let me see if I can remember right, because I haven't read it in a very long time. But at the beginning of it, uh, uh, a man's daughter is being born. And he's at home getting drunk. He has no clue what's going on. And yet somehow he's also a doctor. It's it's troubling, troubling. Yes. To say the least, he, he doesn't care about his life at all. And it just talks about how he's drinking through his sorrows. And then he starts to hear someone begin to break into his house. And then out of nowhere, it cuts to his wife who is giving birth to his daughter. And I don't remember exactly what happens at this part anymore, but he's, she's giving birth to his daughter and right as she comes out, it splits again and it cuts back to her father. And he's talking to the man who broke into his home and the dude's like, you need to pardon my French, but you need to get your shit in line you need to go and support your wife and your daughter because something awful is about to happen. And then it cuts back to the wife and daughter and something's going terribly wrong. She's about to lose her life in childbirth and probably her daughter too, if her husband weren't to get there.
0: So, so so that, I was gonna say that, without saying any more of the story, because now I'm fascinated by, the, by that story, I have not read it, um, y- you've done this, in in that you indicate, you know, right off the bat, we know there's something stalking him, something troubling him. He doesn't know what it is. So, I mean, you don't give too much of the backstory, but we, you know, we, we get the idea and it's this lingering thing. And, and like I said, the, the way it ended was just so surprising to me. Why did you pick spruce as the tree and as what his prosthesis was made of? Any particular reason you did that?
1: I chose this because it's a native tree to the Appalachian Mountains, particularly around West Virginia. And I wanted to add not only this sense of realism, but also almost every little detail in this story is some form of either heavy-handed or very, very light-handed metaphor and this particular one is metaphor for the destruction of trees that happened due to agent orange and in, instead of using a native tree to vietnam or a native tree to another country i thought uh, it would be more close to home and more real if it was a tree from his own land an endangered tree from his own land that he sacrificed himself to make his leg it it's one of the one of the softer ones in there but i did it very very deliberately
0: oh all right well how much how much research did you do
1: anytime i needed to look something up i looked something up which was practically every couple sentences
0: and did you know how it was going to end when you started it no no i did not so it basically evolved as you started writing.
1: Absolutely. As the, as the I forget her name, as the person who came in and told us about the, uh, the writing contest for our class said, there's some people who have to plan out their writing. And then there's some people who write off the seat of their pants. Not everyone is good at both of them. I'm not good at planning, so when I write something, there's never any plan. I just have a disorganized sheet of ideas, and when I need to look at a new idea or need to figure something out, I look at the disorganized sheet, figure something out, say, bingo, that's the one, and then put that in. It's it's a published author's worst nightmare.
0: No, I mean, I I write that way. I, so wow. the, we have planners and we have pantsers, right? The planners know exactly what's going to happen in every chapter. They, you know, some people outline ad nauseum and then there are pantsers right by the seat of your pants. You have an idea. You, uh, you get see, scenes come to you as you mull it over um you're not sure where they'll be um again this is this is what i do in in my writing when i write fantasy anyway it, it evolves and isn't it wonderful to get surprised while you're writing oh
1: yeah like i didn't even have the idea of the tree being the monster up until i was sitting there like having to write the reveal it took me like 30 minutes to come up for the reveal of what it was And I was just sitting there and I was like, what what would hit hard? Because it's in West Virginia. It's in the Appalachian Mountains. Everyone's going to expect something like a Wendigo or one of those those normal West Virginian things. And I didn't want to go there. I wanted to subvert expectations that a lot of people would have based on the setting. So I came up with something that was indicative of trauma, indicative of the things he'd done, indicative of the things that government had done. And I, I took my knowledge of that and ran.
0: The fact that the tree takes back the wood from his prosthesis. I mean, stunning, S- stunning and surprising and, and beautiful and wonderful and perfect.
1: Yeah, that, that ending is, it's also indicative of some of the things a lot of injured veterans went through in the war. There were a lot of people who would see a landmine, consider their options, and step on it. Mm-hmm. Because more likely than not, when you would step on a landmine, you wouldn't die. You'd lose your leg your leg or legs beyond the knee. And then. If you're lucky, you go home and you're left disfigured. You're left without an essential part of your body, but at least you're out of that hellhole.
0: What a decision to have to make, right?
1: Yeah, it's. I can only imagine that a lot of people who got drafted in and got injuries like that felt this almost sick sense of relief sitting in the hospital missing one of their extremities because I've made, they've made that much of a sacrifice. They've done that much. They've seen so much Mm
0: -hmm. and they
1: just want to go home. And sometimes a lot of those people were willing to do anything to do that. Mm
0: -hmm. When was the first time you knew that you were a pretty good writer?
1: When I was in seventh grade, i had an idea we were doing a project about genetics and the topic of twins came up and we had just been talking about reproduction and i was i thought about it and i was like so twins have exact dna but there's still those odd variations and you If two twins were to create a child, it would, first off, if they were identical twins, be impossible because identical twins have to be the same, the same sex, but it would not create a viable offspring. So I just started thinking and was like, I could write this cool dystopian, I still want to write this book, (laughs) I can write cool dystopian romance novel where one woman... Has a kid and she like here, let me explain this better. I have this entire thing thought out. It's I'm just very you're not, you're
0: not planning it, are you? You're not planning something, are you?
1: Not planning, but plotting, you know? So it it pretty much starts with this one girl who is just going into labor at the moment. And you know, she, call, she calls an ambulance, all that happens. And then it cuts to this other girl who is also in labor, except the other girl, she wasn't really able to conceive and she really wanted a kid. So she entered this experimental government program to have the exact split DNA of another woman's embryo implanted into her as long as the government made sure that those two children would never meet. But the entire thing that the government was planning was for those two children to meet and see if two exact replicas of one another could produce a viable relationship. And when I explain it, it sounds very disorganized, but it's, an idea I've had since seventh grade. I wrote the first two pages of it when I was in my freshman year. Uh, they're, they're very bad first two pages, but
0: <laughs> most first two pages, most first chapters are bad. Yeah. But it's okay, because you've started something. Yeah. And it and it's a, it's a unique idea. And know that answers. I think that answers my what's next for you as far as writing goes i mean so you you haven't written a book yet you're 17 you've just won this writing award you're more than just a good writer so i would my recommendation is that you keep writing those ideas down keep you know however you want to do that um you know i would suggest once you have an idea somewhere. And I, I use my, my voice memo a lot on my phone. If I'm walking, if I'm walking the dog, if I'm at the supermarket, because you never know when an idea is going to pop into your head and you want to capture it right then and there. So yeah, you, you just use that however you can keep them together. And you know, sometimes you might, you might, I don't know if you dream, do you dream vividly?
1: Uh, it depends. Like sometimes in the, sometimes when I get in a weird mood, I'll go to sleep and I will have the most bizarre and insane dream. And th- there's this one particular one that I had that I woke up like crying and in a cold sweat from. But when I describe it, it sounds ridiculous. The FBI instated an international manhunt on me for petting a dog. On, on what? You gotta... <laughs> they, they, intersta- <laughs> they put an international manhunt on me for petting a dog in this dream. And okay. it sounds ridiculous. It sounds like, like, Oh, that's funny. But no, I woke up so distressed. It was if, terrible.
0: If, if you can capture the distress that you felt in that dream, then you can use that in a scene for a different story.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. And that's, I actually, uh, before I wrote this story, it was one of those times when I, uh, did have one of those weird crazy dreams and it's not one that i can remember as fully as the weird dog one but it did have something to do with this story and and it had something to do with the current ending which is actually an alternate ending which was made to conform with the the rules of the competition
0: i love your writing you need to keep writing is there Are there any questions that you wish I had asked you that you would want to share with listeners out there? Any advice you want to give to other teens who are interested in writing?
1: I definitely have some advice to give. A lot of people like myself were very, very bad at writing in childhood. I hated it. It was my least favorite thing to do ever. <laughs> but it it was something that I was always good at but something that i just disliked to do and the reason that i hated writing for so long was because i was not writing for myself i was writing for other people and i was writing the things that other people wanted me to write the way i found happiness and the way i found joy in writing is by writing about things That I wanted to write about. Not writing to a school assignment. Not writing an essay. Even though I genuinely enjoy writing essays. Writing something out of passion. And you know that writer's block happens. There was an entire day. Where I was unable to work on it. Because I couldn't come up with anything. And sometimes that discourages people. But that's just a natural part of the process. If you... Write something that you truly want to write. If you're dreaming about it, if you're thinking about it more than you're thinking about any other thing, put your hands on your keyboard. Put your pencil to your paper and write. Don't erase. Don't hit the backspace. Don't delete anything. You want the unfiltered ideas to go down onto that paper. And then what I always do is I have someone else read it and I have someone else edit it and then that helps me clear up my perception of it and helps me figure out those tiny little things that i missed like if i accidentally used a semicolon in the wrong way or anything like that it's it's the same thing every time it's getting the motivation getting my computer and then shutting everything out and focusing and then Once I'm done doing what I'm doing, once I've had a good day's work with that, I send it to whoever I trust most and they send it back. I do the edits and then I do my own personal edits based on what it looks like after that. And usually after that, I have a finished piece.
0: And oftentimes starting is the hardest part.
1: Oh, oh yeah. The it, I came up with maybe thirty different intro sentences for this story, and maybe thirty different endings as well.
0: That's fabulous! That's fabulous that you did that amount of work, and it showed in your final product. It it, it obviously did. Uh, you know, I would I would suggest if you have an idea that you're excited about, or a scene that pops into your head, or a character that. All of a sudden wants to be in your story let your muse help you write that wherever it is and it might not necessarily be the next thing that's going to happen in your story but go ahead and, and write it you might you will eventually get to it to that character or that scene or by the time you get to it it's either not relevant or you tweak it to fit what you're doing but in any case yet yeah, when when my muse says you gotta do this you gotta write this i write it down somewhere or i I record it and I figure out where it's going to go, which to me keeps writing fresh and exciting. And, you know, for, for a pantser, that's what it's all about. (laughs) Well, Henry Dodson, this has been a pleasure. I loved your story. Uh listeners you can get more information about Henry on my website at com. go over there if you want Henry I could I could include the whole text of your story on on in a blog
1: please do and then uh I also sent you that painting that little visual aid I made of it uh you can attach that as well it's not as good as the story by any means but it it's kind of how I envisioned the monster at the end.
0: Well, uh, again, keep writing. Uh, Your teacher has to be delighted with what you're doing. Will you have the same teacher next year for creative writing? No, it's
1: it's a real shame. She's been a huge help for me and my confidence when it comes to writing.
0: Well, you should have a lot of confidence and you're doing all the right things. And the, 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 advice that you gave to listeners was spot on. I, I don't think I could have said it better myself. So I hope you have a fabulous summer. And oh, I,
1: you have an even better one.
0: Well, thank you. Thank you. Let's both have a great summer. and Let's both do some fun short stories. Absolutely. All right, Henry, thanks again. And listeners, thanks again. And we will catch you next time.
1: Alligator Preserves is hosted and produced by Laurel McCard, with technical support provided by her husband, Mike McCard. Follow her on her website at LeadvilleLaurel.com, where she writes about life, real, and imagined. If you enjoyed this podcast, you might enjoy her books. Find her work at
0: Amazon.com.